This land is granted by the President of the United States to the Muscogee Creek Nation for as long as they shall exist as a tribe. And I'm like, whoa, what happened here? They still exist. They're still here. We are live on the Muscogee Reservation, and you are on the Muscogee Pod. Jason Salzman here, and I am so excited about today's episode as we are going to be talking Tulsi time. Really, the formation of the city of Tulsa, not a lot of people out there know, it was a creek town. The Lojaboga people came on the Trail of Tears, stopped at the Council Oak Tree, which is right there in downtown Tulsa. Um, and if you don't know, folks, and you've never been, make it a point to go see the Council Oak Tree someday. We've got a beautiful um, statue, like, um, not statue, uh, but a, um, oh, what's, what's, yeah, sculpture. Thank you, Ashton. Ashton's helping me out today. And, and that's a sculpture up um, that represents the fire, the ceremonial fire that's so important to our still alive and existing and thriving ceremonial grounds. One of those was set down right there along the banks of the Arkansas River, and they said, this is Tallahassee, this is Tulsi, and then it's Tulsa. And so in this episode, we're going to sort of touch on how that happened, how Tallahassee and Tulsi turned into Tulsa, and some of the things that went behind that. And it wasn't all on the up and up. It's an uncomfortable history, as we'll talk about in this episode, but um, we're talking with the right guy that knows about uh, those things in that area and Tulsa's founding, and it's very, very unique and neat the way he found out about that and how he come to know, because he found out um, that the area that he called home, where he knew to be the place he grew up was really the originally uh, the original owner was a very famous creek and somebody um, that all creeks just about uh, know or should if they don't. Um, but, you know, that's why we wanted to talk about this history today, because not a lot of people know when they're driving around Memorial, you're on 71st back to school weekend. You literally have car after car after car after car in this big metropolis, the second largest city in Oklahoma. It was once just a little old creek town, and that was its origins. And, you know, like I said, how do we go from creek town to oil town? And there was a reason for that, and those things started happening. And, you know, nobody wanted this place. You know, it was Indian Territory, just, you know, cast them away there until, you know, there were resources. There was a way to make money here. There was a way to make big money, generational money, money that sets you up for life money um, that uh, originally belonged to the inhabitants of, of the land. And so, you know, we talk about all these things, not to say, you know, not to point a finger or whatever. We're just talking about history. And so I, I think, you know, when we first kind of sat down with season two and we said, you know, we want to be storytellers. We want to tell the story of, of different, you know, aspects of Creek culture, Creek history, what actually built what we, the things that we know today. And, you know, not a lot of people know the story of Tulsa. And so I think, you know, it's good to talk about those things. And so in Tulsi time, uh, we spent a little bit with Russell Cobb, the associate professor uh, at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. And so glad to talk with Russell because of his experience and the knowledge that he's gained from that experience. You know, he sort of had a light bulb go off when he started looking into the history of his home. And that took him 
to several different places. And, you know, I first met him when I was doing the television program and, um, you know, it was something where I, I thought, man, I got to get this guy on the show because of, you know, the things he knows. And at that time it was, you know, uncovering the, the real history of the land that the, um, gathering place was to be on. So, you know, that was kind of what piqued my interest at first and, and, you know, got to know him and got to talk with him. And, uh, you know, from that grew, you know, our friendship and, and just talking back and forth about different things. And so, you know, when we started kind of putting together season two, I was like, man, we got to talk to Russell Cobb. We got to talk about Tulsi time. And, um, and, and so that for me, you know, storyteller series, you know, that, that went right in line with what we were wanting to do. So, um, with that in mind, um, we're going to get into that a little bit. We get into a little bit of everything, you know, we don't just talk about, um, you know, this was a Creek town and everything that went on in the Creek town and everything like that. We do touch on that a little bit, but this is more of a personal experience and a firsthand sort of storytelling from Russell about how he came to know these things. And, how he started uncovering how it went from, like we said, a Creek town to an oil town and, and the things that built people's way of thinking about Tulsa today and, and how we see history today and how we're still fighting for history in public schools today. And so, and why that's important to do that. So we talk about a little bit of everything in this conversation from our reservation. It's Tulsi time with Russell Cobb and it starts right now. And we're so glad to welcome into the pod cave for this episode for Tulsi time. It's the associate professor in the faculty of arts at the university of Alberta in balmy Edmonton up there, our friends in the great white North. It is Mr. Russell Cobb. Russell, you are there in Edmonton, but transplanted from the great state of Oklahoma, from the city of Tulsa. How are you doing today, buddy? Uh, I'm doing fine, Jason. I'm actually sitting out here in, enjoying the, the Alberta sun. It's probably, you know, 65 degrees and, um, you know, but I'm still wishing I was back in Tulsa. What can I say? It's, it's, it's my, it's my home. You're a Tulsa guy. Love it or hate it. It's you, my, it's my, I'm a Tulsa guy. I'm it, a Tulsa guy through and through. Isn't that the thing um, that we find with, with a lot of Tulsa people? It just, it's so in their blood. It just, it just, uh, you, no matter where they go, I, I meet people that are in New York City and they're in L.A. or maybe even across the pond, you know, people in Ireland or whatever. And they're like, man, I just and I'm like, I would give anything to be with you right now on the Emerald Coast. And they're like, no, man, I want to go back to like, you know, ha have a, a Ron's chili cheeseburger in Tulsa. You know what I mean? so, <laughs> it's crazy to me. Oh, you're making me hungry. I'm sorry. Oh, man. I'm sorry. If I, could, if I could pick up a sloppy Ron's chili cheeseburger or a Coney, <laughs> I would be in heaven. Ike's chili too, man. Anyway. Ike's chili. Or um, Ike's, Ike's chili. Yeah. You just name it. I got to tell you, man. And to, to get on the subject matter that we'll be talking about today, I can't help but feel Russell and you may agree, maybe not, but I can't help but feel like that connection we talk about with people in Tulsa that say, I just can't get it out of my blood. I, I, I got to be back. There's something about that city. I can't help but feel it's because of the rich history, both bad and good, that make it such an eclectic place of belonging for the people that have called it home. I think so. I think that there, there's a unique history. 
uh, uh, to Tulsa that's really not shared in any other city. It's it, and we're still figuring it out. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean it's it's like so many other uh, American cities have these rich histories, like a New Orleans or New York, and everyone knows those histories. Tulsa did a number on itself for many years of covering up a lot of aspects of this history. But, you know, when you read like scholarship about intergenerational trauma and that sort of thing, it, the, the, the fact that there were these horrible things that happened and no one talked about them, they still continued right. in people's blood. Like you said, like it's still there. And I think that the fact that, you know, um, all kinds of people who call Tulsa home or who have called Tulsa home, feel it in some way and in, in different ways. Obviously they're going to process it differently, but I think that, you know, paired with our rich culinary traditions, which we just talked about, and then kind of our, our darker historical uh, aspects, this is something that kind of like pulls, pulls at our, our hearts. You know, when I, whenever I think about it, there's still some of that going on today. We still are fighting to be able to even tell that history here in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. um, which is unfortunate because, as you said, you can't really get past it or heal from it or move forward until it's all mm -hmm. on the table. Um, and as an educator, I, I would ask you how you feel about the current climate um, of, of things here in Oklahoma and the way that we're mm -hmm. looking at history and, and, and probably the empathy you feel for our history teachers here in local high schools. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I it's, it's a lamentable situation, Jason. It, that's why I would ca characterize it because on the one hand, we're living in a moment where people are starting to talk about things that were deeply buried. I mean, with the, you know, look at around, look at all the hype around uh, killers of the flower moon mm -hmm. um, around the centennial, the Tulsa race massacre, all these things that, you know, are, are on the, are on the, the people are talking about, but on the other hand, um, there's this, incredible backlash that is that is really causing damage not only to the teaching profession you see teachers leaving for other states for other places um you know quality people and on the other hand the, the students are, and yet another generation is going to be impoverished in in their understanding of of where they live you know and the, and the relations that they have with other people and there's a, there's all these kinds of language about you can't talk about this kind of thing because it might make someone feel uncomfortable. Well, I mean, come on, you can't. Of course, it's going to feel uncomfortable. There's a lot of uncomfortable things that happened, and that they're well documented. And it's not like it's fake history. It's it's well documented stuff that happened. You know, when we talk about why you and I are here today on this episode um, and talking about the Muskogee founding of Tulsa. Not a lot of people know that. Um, not a lot of people right. know the significance of the Council Oak Tree there, right, in downtown Tulsa. Mm -hmm. We commemorate it every mm -hmm. year, and our people certainly love to go to Council Oak and, and be there and think about that, where the Lujaboga people mm -hmm. stopped and said, this is home now. And they put our fires down, and they said, here along the river is where we'll stake our claim to a future. Um I, I can't imagine 
that they never dreamed that it would be what it is now. And we covered that a little bit in our previous podcast of the 1979 constitution and all of its founding and how much things are just different from 79. Can't imagine what they think now looking down on us some and seeing what the nation has become. But Russell, as somebody that you yourself are are not a tribal citizen, um, but you are from Tulsa, give us the story of sort of what invigorated you to begin to start to study Tulsa's founding and the indigenous roots there and everything that you've uncovered and gotten, you know, really, like I said, it's fed your soul to sort of look into the Muskogee roots that are there in that city, even where you lived as a child too. Right. That's a, it's a big question, Jason. I I mean, it, it it is a big question because I think that a a lot of Tulsans, especially ones who grew up near Council Oak Tree and uh, are vaguely aware um, of, of the significance of it. And, you know, the school I went to, elementary school I went to, was very close to it, and it was named uh, at the time when I was there in the 1980s. It was it was called, uh, it, was, it was Lee School. It was named after Robert E. Lee, and then, you know, recently it was renamed Council Oak. And I think that's a really good example of the kind of awakening that I experienced and I think others have experienced that are not, that are not grounded in the school culture, that are not tribal citizens but that inhabit and, and, and work and live and play and on the land in the reservation is, is to, to understand, you know, what happened and what are our responsibilities now? Um, so that's really where it got started for me. And it got started in a very personal way. Um, and I don't know if you want me to go into that. But yeah, I, I do. I would love you to. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So um, I got started in a really personal and unforeseen way for me because uh, back in 2015, 2016, uh, my my mother, who had a home in Sunset Terrace, it's the Sunset uh, Terrace edition of Maple Ridge, which is on the, the uh, right there near the, the boundary was today, gathering place. She had dementia and she had to move out of her, of her home that she'd lived in since 1987 and so as the only child the dutiful child like i was like where are we going to move we're going to move you know here and we're going to get you know to assisted living and get you situated and and she said you know well you're you'll have the, the title to the home so you know i was talking to a realtor and she said well the you know the, the, the story of your house is in the abstract. And I said, well, where's that? She's like, well, it's kind of under, it's literally under lock and key at an abstract company. And I'm kind of a curious for better or worse person <laughs> by nature. So I was like under locking, why, how could the story of the house be so, you know, hidden away and I'm going to go get it. <laughs> so I went down there and I started reading it and, and, and I started and I turned over, you know, page one. In the abstract, I mean, the thing is like hundreds of pages long, but page one is like, is like granted, you know, this land is granted um, by the president of the United States to the Muscogee Creek Nation for as long as they shall exist as a tribe. That's, that's, that's the first entry of Pretty the house. Pretty cut and dry. <laughs> and I thought, as long, okay, I'm like, whoa, what happened here? You know, okay. They're, they still exist. You know, they're still here. I got friends, even family. 
uh, or Muskogee, like they're still here. What happened? <laughs> so then I, I read, okay, well then after that, um, you know, I think the, 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 the Dawes commission comes along and says, now it will no longer be the, the property of the tribe, but rather, um, allotted to an individual citizen. And so I go to find out, well, who's this first individual citizen that literally owns the land? I mean, that's the kind of, you know, cause that's the foundational idea of land tenure in, in a kind of a Western land owning notions. Right. So mm-hmm. one person owns it in fee simple who has a patent to the land. And that is a guy that I couldn't pronounce his name at the time. <laughs> I, I think I can do it now. Tug a budgie. Uh, and I just said to, to tug a budgie. And I thought, well, who's tug a budgie? Because he had it for quite some time and, um, he had quite a history. And so I really, I really, you know, by myself at first and then connecting with those people at Muskogee nation and, 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 uh, other tribal citizens, you know, started to learn this, remarkable story of this remarkable guy. I, I was going to say it. that had to blow your I mind when you started uncovering Tuckabudgie. My Tuckabudgie <laughs> is like, this guy is like, he should be, you know, there should be monuments and, and statues. Forget the golden driller. There should be a 75 foot statue. <laughs> of you know, yeah. like he's not only, he participated, like he was on the, the trail from removal he was at the council oak, uh, the rekindling of the fire. He he was in the Civil War. He was part of the Loyal Creeks. He went up to Kansas. He saw he was there with Opisley Yeholas. He died, you know, waiting for provisions from Abraham Lincoln. He came back. He participated. In a, it's just this remarkable epic story. Right. And, um, and you know, it, and he lives into his probably either ninety five or one hundred and ten, depending on how, how you're counting. Anyway, um, I, I went from there to to kind of being like, well, I, I just feel like it's a it's a disservice, um, not only to the Muskogee Nation, but to anyone who, who who lives on the land or even visits the land, visits a place like the gathering place that the people don't know about that story. Um, and so, and, you know, that's kind of the impetus for, for what I've been doing, I think, for the past, you know, three or four years is kind of jumping off from that to saying, well, why? You know, asking right. the hard question. Why yeah. don't we know these kinds of things? Why why do most people in Maple Ridge not know the name Tuckabudgie? Yeah, and yeah. what, what I, I got to think, you know, to me it's fascinating because that story right there that you just told is what sort of brought us mm-hmm. together the first time because at yeah, the time I was right. doing the television show and yeah. I, I meet you. I can't even remember how, but we, we got to talking or whatever. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, or, or I think you reached out to me about the gathering place is what was happening because uh-huh. you're like, Oh, there's this worldwide phenomenon news, you know, cycle going on about the gathering place. It's yeah. this wonderful thing. Yeah. Not one word is being said about the fact that it's on Tuckabuchi's land and the story yeah. of Tuckabuchi and, and is there yeah. going to be a marker? Is there going to be some kind of nod to that history or whatever? Uh-huh. And that's sort of what brought us yeah. together to me. Right. What, exactly. what's, so, what's so cool about this story, though, is to me, from that point, 
you didn't just sort of like learn that history and go, oh, man, that's kind of cool. Wow, mom. Uh, or, you know, like, yeah. oh, you to your friends, <laughs> oh, you know, let's talk yeah. about you. That's that's yeah. neat. You know, real cool. Um, yeah. You sort of springboarded into mm-hmm. greater research um, in academia and, and you've published mm-hmm. um, uh, books on this. And, uh, you know, th- you, mm-hmm. you got books out now um, that, that people can, mm-hmm. you know, the great America, uh, the great Oklahoma swindle. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think <clears throat> to me, sort of it springboarded you into this sort of rabbit hole of all of this information mm-hmm. uh, kind of take us through the next steps of, of what it did take you into. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's where things get really complicated because, you know, at the end of Tuck life, and we're talking about he died in 1910, that is, that is the time when Tulsa is no longer, you know, Tulsa Logoboja. It's, it's not even Tulsa town anymore. It's not, it is, it is literally in the midst of, of like Angie DeBose said, uh, you know, 80 years ago, going from Creek town to oil capital. And, and that's something that's, you know, celebrated, um, in the history. It's something that brought my great grandfather who I'm named after, um, to Tulsa was this transformation into the, the oil capital of the world. And so, you know, that's where I really, I started to, to find, the, the kinds of history that I think have been deliberately repressed and that's kind of, I'm still working on today. There's just so many stories of people like Tugabudgie who were forced into arrangements um, with guardians who were often bankers or lawyers connected to the oil industry who would then control their estates. Uh, would control the oil and gas leases and even sometimes control and sell uh, the land that they were not supposed to. You know, they were restricted by law. They were restricted. They were not supposed to do it. And they would find all kinds of ways to take this land that we, like we talked about before, that was granted in fee simple by the United States, the most clear-cut land title you can get, and uh, separate them from that land. Right. And uh, the, yeah, there's there, and this implicates, and I think this is where things get complicated because this implicates people and uh, companies, even oil companies that are that still are around. that are that are still around, yeah. right? And so the legacy. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about this opens the big, you know, they call a cloud in the title, um, and it also raises big questions about generational wealth. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe even reparations. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and, Mm -hmm. and so when you look at some of these transactional things, as you said, when we go from, Hey, it's the most cut and dry, um, process when you're talking about land, the fee simple process. I mean, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the most, that it says what it says and it is what it is. And so mm-hmm. when you talk about mm-hmm. these loopholes getting around in your research mm-hmm. and, and the things that you uncovered, like talk about some of the means was, was some of it like language barrier things and where they took advantage yeah. of certain things that the, uh, the, the Creek people, you know, weren't aware of, or they weren't walking in two worlds at that time. They were still very much a Creek town. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, that's, that's a really interesting point. And, and I think important that, that, that Tulsans know is that, that Tulsa was, was a Creek town. 
um, the Logoboja were, you know, upper creeks and they, they, yeah, they held fast to their, to their traditional ways. And, um, so when it came time for when, when the oil boom happened, you know, starting in really starting in 1906 after Glenpool, there was a little one in Red Fork, but then after Glenpool and then Cushing and Osage, all that, um, there's this invasion um, let's call it what it is, right? An invasion of, of, of white people uh, into Creek Tulsa. And they're finding that a lot of those people, the Creek people do not, they only speak mistake. They're, they're traditional yeah. people. Um, people I talk about you who, who really wanted to, he wanted to hunt deer and fish on the banks of the Arkansas, a little farm and um, a cabin on Hazeland, Cincinnati, and just be left alone. Like he, they came to him and were like, sell the land. He's like, no, it's been alone. Okay. Well, we're going to put a, 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 a railway, the Midland Valley railway is going to go through your property. He's like, okay, fine. But just please leave me alone. Leave me alone. Well, then he's, so, so this is a good example is on his deathbed. Uh, you know, he, there's a will that's devised that just has an X, you know, uh, on his name. He didn't sign it. It was signed for him. And the will was devised by uh, his guardian, who was Ethel Davis, who was the, the uh, was a, was white. She was married to a Creek man, but um, there's all kinds of questions about their marriage, um, which we can go into some other time. Right, yeah. <laughs> but but, uh, but uh, Ethel Davis, you know, she she was a guardian for, for a lot of Muskogee people. There were people like um, <clears throat> J.C.W. Bland. Um, who's famous because he supposedly found the, the one of the founding fathers of the Red Fork oil strike, but there's also lots of questions about that. Uh, you know, these guys were, were guardians. They were they were lawyers. They were making they were they were using translators. Um, they often deceived their wards, and we know they did because there's a big paper trail of later lawsuits who, of the people who were swindled saying, this is not what I was told at the time when I signed this device. You know, I was told this happened a lot. For example, here's a good one. Uh, like Millie Naharkey. Um, Millie Naharkey, uh, her granddaughter's still alive. Um, and I talked to her about this. Uh, she, when she came to the age of maturity in 1923, you know, she was had a guardian. And the guardian said, we're just sign this paper. We're going to get a lease for you. And the lease is so generous. It gives you one eighth of all the, the royalties that, that the oil producers are going to discover. Well, she comes to find out that she didn't sign a lease. She, she, found, she signed a bill of sale. She sold away her land and she was completely lied to by a guy named uh, Grant Stebbins. And you can see, if you Google Grant Stebbins and you want to learn about Grant Stebbins, you'll, what you'll find is he was one of the first oil barons, one of the first uh, significant black gold mansions in Maple Ridge was built by Grant Stebbins. Um, he later like made a bunch of money and moved to Kansas City and built even bigger things there. But you can see how this foundation of wealth has started with a fraudulent transaction and then in history, it's just remembered that, oh, these 
you know, oil barons came to Tulsa and created, built these beautiful mansions that were more grandiose than anything you could find back in, you know, Philadelphia. And that's the story, right? That's the big story that Tulsa tells itself. But I, I'm interested in these, these small details uh, that, that just changed the whole picture, right? Yeah. I mean, had that not have happened, you can imagine an alternate future. Yeah. What would it be today? Yeah. What if, what if you had different notions of land tenure? I mean, like you said, it changed everything. And I, and I, and I look Mm. at it now and I look at the city of Tulsa and it's almost like the toothpaste is out of the tube. You know, like how Mm. do you even reconcile what's become and what's flourished and those companies you mentioned and the stronghold that they now have and not only the area and the land, the very political landscape of this country and, and, and the influence in policy and the way people vote and the way people see things and see themselves. Uh, We've got people to vote against our very own tribal interests that are tribal citizens sometimes. Um, It's been such a seismic sea change in everything, not just the land and not just the resources and not just the influence, but just in thought process. So I wonder, you know, Russell, when you look at this now, you know, what, what, what can we do? I mean, does the city of Tulsa do enough? I mean, we've seen land acknowledgements, no. of course, indigenous people's <laughs> day, you know, I mean, yeah. w- w- mm-hmm. what looks like a, a, a you know, acceptable outcome here, even if there is one mm-hmm. available? I mean, that's, that's a big, that's a big question. And I would, I don't know about you uh, or your listeners, but I would be happy if we just started having that conversation. Right. You know, if we, if it's, it's really, you know, I live up here in Canada and we, you know, the truth and reconciliation commission started ages ago to find out the truth of what happened in the residential schools. And we're still talking about what the appropriate course of action is and about the, the, the intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. And there's no one, you know, it's like people talk about reconciliation is not one thing. And it never is like it's just a, it's an end product. You know, it's not a deliverable. It's like, it's just a kind of a, a more f- a framework yeah. to think about, to think about all kinds of things. Think about education, about land policy, about um, good relations between uh, different, different people, even newcomers that are coming that don't have any awareness of these kinds of things. Like it's, it's, it's a whole series of things. And, and what, what's just really um, unfortunate and disappointing to me is that um, the city of Tulsa uh, is is so opposed to it. If you look at the the amicus brief that filed uh, on the McGirt hearing, thank you, you know, for bringing and, that and up. At, I was about to ask you about you, that. Oh, I mean, yeah. it just it was appalling to me. I know it. You know, it doesn't. It, you know, that they uh, they talk out of two side. You know, two sides of their mouth. You know, on the one hand, and then I mean, I think it's great. I was actually fortunate to be. At Indigenous Peoples Day and the, um, you know, the, the park, they renamed it too, actually, right? It, it was it called Dreamkeepers? Yeah, Dreamkeepers Park. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, which is cool. Like, I think that's yeah. great. But on the other hand, like, you have, and these are kind of symbolic things, which are important. But, but on the other hand, like, when it comes down to 
power, money, land, uh, the city is is really working against against the kind of a good relationship. Yes, um, I just couldn't believe that amicus brief they filed. Neither and, could we. And the bad faith and the bad faith that they're arguing uh, when when you can the, the historical record is so clear. Another thing I'll say about Texas is uh, if we have any you know non Muskogee uh, or or just white uh, settler type folks that are that are listening. Um, they're out there, you know. I, I they, 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 they love me that. for some awesome. reason. I don't know what they can't get enough it. of me. Yeah, well, you're a nice. <laughs> you, you know, you talk about Ron's chili chili burgers. Yeah, people I mean, get hungry. Everybody loves so a fat guy that lunch. talks about food, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I think I've had so many reactions at some different talks I've given and such that that just come out of left field that are they're shocking to me. Where people seem to think, and and I think it's. They seem to think that, like, we start talking about, you know, oh, how did Tucker Budgie's, how did his grandchildren not get any of the land? You know, he had four of them. Right. Three of the four died uh, before the 19 teens were even out, you know, Hmm. and very young. And their grandfather lived probably into his 100s. Is that a coincidence? Probably not. Probably not. Um, But, you know, they, they, they will have this this attitude, you know, like, well, what do you want me to do? And they'll be kind of like, well, what, do you, what am I supposed to do? Just give my house to, to right. creeks, you know? I've heard that. I've, I've felt that you know, sentiment. Like, like well, well, what can we do? You know, it's like, well, you can start talking about it. I mean, you start some talking, way. Yeah. And I, and one more thing, one thing about that, Jason, is that, that, that I just find like, um, uh, that I find reprehensible among people who should know better. I'm talking about the state's elected leaders um, and some elected leaders, even in the city of Tulsa, who will foster that kind of ignorance deliberately, knowing that that's not that's not what is being discussed. Right. No, no, uh, no. I'll go ahead and name names. I mean, Secretary of Education, Ryan Walters, is the worst of that, of of creating a, a kind of deliberately fostering a climate of fear. Yeah. So that people fear, so that people fear the worst, like their homes are going to be seized. No, that is, or they're, or they're not going to be, you know, people are going to run free. What did Stitt say at some point that the worst, the, uh, the biggest public safety, um, crisis in Oklahoma was history all and killers were running <laughs> yeah. free and yeah, in yeah. history and history yeah. and there I was mean, utter chaos. You know, Russell, you know, and I know you know this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, they're just deliberately creating this atmosphere of fear that that they should know better, but then it often filters down. You know, the people who maybe don't know better, right? And and that's like the dangerous part. You know, and that's the dangerous <laughs> yeah. part because you know, and you you've seen this from the outside, but you you know what I do, and and you know what this whole thing is over, and what it comes down to, mm-hmm. and. Ever since McGirt, what happened was the other side said, okay, you know what we got on our hands here, folks? A public affairs war with the tribes, and Mm. we're going to get into the hearts and minds of people. We're going to do what the age-old tactic to get people riled up and on our side, we're going to scare them. 
You know what I mean? We're going to, you know, there's prisoners running free. Uh, if you're a tribal member, people are actively looking for your tag on your car to target you um, to commit crimes because they know um, nothing will be done to them because of McGirt. Um and until I'm blue in the face for the last two and a half years, I've literally debunked so much of that through the incredible work of not only our administration, but our attorney general's office, our district court, our court system, our justice system as a whole. Russell, we've doubled officers on the ground. We've doubled the budget of the light horse. We have enhanced our court system with prosecutorial abilities. We've done Everything we can, but I tell you what we can't do. We can't do anything about a court that drops a case and doesn't tell us about it. And those things mm. are happening, whether people want to oh. believe it or not. Mm. You know, the great Oklahoma swindle ain't over yet. Mm. There's still bad actors out there, folks, that yep. want to see the tribes not be able to rise to the occasion and take care of the responsibility of their one jurisdiction and sovereignty and their territorial boundaries. The thing that was promised that's inherent, we gave it to ourselves. Yes. Nothing was given to us. Yes. We gave it to ourselves in inherent sovereignty. Yes. So, You're right. but as Justice Gorsuch said, because this is the interpretation, we hold the government to its word. Those were his words. Right. So yeah. we're not yeah. asking for anything here other than, hey, let's remove the blanket of illegality that's been over us for 117 years. And let's do mm -hmm. things the way that they were supposed to be done. To me, mm -hmm. it's inconceivable to think that another side of that would then the response to that would be. You know, guys, let's just go back to the way thing we've done things. We, you know, things have been great here in Oklahoma for the last hundred seven years. Why can't we just, you know, mm -hmm. continue to do things the way we did them? I've actually heard that. Why can't we continue to do really? things the way we did a hundred and seven years ago? Well, because we couldn't even vote a hundred and seven years ago. We were being killed mm -hmm. for our lands a hundred and seven years ago. A hundred and seven years ago, people were being misrepresented to sell what was their God-given inheritance to, you know, whoever, because they couldn't understand what that person was saying. We're talking about the things right now, you and I, to and to all these people right. that are listening, that is a the greatest example of why we here, let's go back to the way we've always done things, and we categorically reject and deny that. Like, yeah. we're not doing right. it. This is a new day. It's a new era. The Supreme Court has spoken, um, and and we've seen attempts to roll back. That fear tactic worked oh, yeah. Um, in oh, yeah. in things that we saw, like the Castro Huerta decision, where yeah, the, right. the the court basically just um, throws in the trash things like Worcester versus Georgia and things that mm. established tribal law. The very like I imagine being a tribal lawyer. Um, that that spent my career in, in in tribal courts and and the study of indigenous people's law and and first nations people's law and all that and, you know the world indigenous law whatever you want to call um, any area yeah. of study that they've looked into and I imagine those legal scholars or those law professionals 
reading the decision in Castro Huerta and literally just wilting away, like w- the will to live, just literally draining out of their bodies. <laughs> and, and I, I'm yeah. serious. That it's it's such yeah. a an attack on everything we knew in in right. tribal law and in precedents and everything. Mm-hmm. So and and then when right. it makes it that much worse, Russell, when we whenever we do hear you know snide remarks from elected officials about tribes and this and that. We've been through so much and to still be sitting here trying to just ask for somebody to come to the table and talk with us is absurd. Right. 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 What's right. it been like for you, yeah. a, a resident of a lifelong resident of Tulsa, somebody yeah. that understands the history that had friends and family that are Muskogee. Well, yeah. you look at what's happened. Um, it's gotta be just shocking that, Somebody would think that that was acceptable. Yeah. I mean, well, I think it's based on ignorance. You know, I think when you don't know the history and you, and you like, like you don't, you don't read the abstract to your home, uh, for example. Um, (laughs) Well, it was under lock and key. Don't beat yourself up. It was under lock and key for crying out loud. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, you know, you, and you hear, and you're in the bubble of of uh, of uh, white Tulsa. Um, y- you understand these things. I'm making uh, that T-shirt, by way. the way. White Tulsa. I'm making that T-shirt. Yeah, white Tulsa. I mean, that, <laughs> hey, I grew up with it. I did. <laughs> I did. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I think I had a quintessential Tulsa experience. Yeah. I grew up in a in a in a white Tulsa bubble, but all around that bubble were, you know, uh, Choctaw cousins, Cherokee cousins, uh, indigenous land, like the, you know, all these signs that like, you know, that were around me, uh, the council oak tree, it was hidden in plain sight. You know what I mean? So it's like, I had the quintessential Tulsa experience in that, like, it's, it's, Tulsa is still a Creek town. (laughs) I mean, like legally and culturally and historically it still is um uh, uh and i think that if we just if you just kind of popped that bubble uh right. people would you know you don't need to burst it no, <laughs> just, no. just put a little right. you know it's it, it penetrated a little bit so that people can see outside of it and yes. um how about this Russell? Feel better. Yeah. well how about we all agree that that bubble can grow to encapsulate more people and ideas and histories and thoughts. There you go. Why can't that bubble yeah. just get bigger and bring in more people yeah. inside of it? it yeah. That's a good way to think about it. I yeah. mean, you could just grow the, you could just grow the bubble and not <laughs> see, you know, not see it growing as, as it, as, as a, as a threat to its very existence. Exactly. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we, I, that's we can all grow really together. Gets, that's what really, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's what we've been that's saying. That's what gets me. Yeah. Yeah. What gets me is that, is that you know, I've, I've, I hate to say it, but, you know, I've lost, I've lost some family. I mean, not, not dead, but, you know, might as well be. Um, right. <laughs> you know, over my research, you know what I mean? Like, yes. No, absolutely. People I, take it personal you when know? you want to uncover oh, things. Be, yeah. And I said, I said, uh, and they're like, you're, you know, you're dragging our family through this. And I said, I'm not dragging our family through this. I'm saying, you know, this is this is how I came to be in Tulsa. How would it? How would a a, a guy 
who's descended from, you know, uh, white, uh, you know, people of Welsh and Irish and French descent um, who settled in among, you know, in Tennessee and various places from Tennessee to Boston end up in a place like Tulsa, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of odd. Yeah. Um, all, all of it points to points to oil and what brought the oil men here was this, uh, you know, feverish rush to appropriately um, swindle and cheat uh, uh, the, the, the rightful owners of the land. And um, that's just the true story. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, that doesn't mean that they were, and, and some of them, like, I, I mean, want to know more about my great grandfather. I know he, you know, I see him, his name on a lot of these land deals, like out in Creek County, and I'm like, hmm. You know, I want to know more, but yeah. Nah. What were you up to, pops? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've heard. I talked to oil men. You know, like, oh, you're, yeah. yeah, your granddad was very active out there in uh, wildcat country around Sepulpa and Cushing and Drumrock. Like, oh man, <sighs> yeah. You know, but I feel I feel a duty. You know, I mean, to be kind of like profound, not profound, but like just kind of be kind of serious about it for a second. Like I. I feel like I owe it to, um, you know, my, the rest of my family and then my kids to, to know what really happened because it was all covered up for me. And it was like, Oh, you know, oil brought us, brought you here. And then, you know, your grand, your granddad, like God, he had the first, you know, I read this article in the Chelsea Tribune from like the 1940s. He was the first guy to have, um, air conditioning installed in his private residence. It was like first, First Tolson was air conditioning in his private residence. I'm like, that's like that's the thing I know about him. You know, like, like, well, I, there's more to the story. That's pretty you know, awesome. Air and where did yeah? I, I mean, granted, I'm we like, creeks oh, love air conditioning. People, we creeks how love did people it. survive this? <laughs> how did people survive the Creek Festival without air conditioning? <laughs> Man. I will ask, though, and I I think this goes back to something we talked about a little bit earlier. When we talk about Secretary Walters and some of the folks that are full court press in let's not teach history because it's uncomfortable for for a certain group of people or what what have you. And Mm -hmm. the argument Mm -hmm. is and the argument is and this is why I find it fascinating to speak with you on this. The argument is always let's not do that to our kids. Let's not make them feel less than let's not make them feel like mm. they're an enemy, that they're a bad per that they're villainous or whatever. Russell, let me ask you all these things that you found out about your family and yourself and those uncomfortable truths. What's it done for your life? Has it added to it or is it taken away and made you mm. feel less than or worse? I bet it's added to your, I bet it's given you some. Flavor. Yeah. That's a really good question to ask, and I would I would love to turn that around on people who say that because I do understand that they would say that. You know, it is no, yes, it's, know, it's valid. Kids, raising it's, kids in because I raise kids, I'm raising kids in Canada. You know, we're newcomers to Canada, and we're like I just you know I was in a citizenship ceremony like two years ago. And it was all like oh, isn't this you know glorious nation and and it's free and we have wonderful healthcare and all the good stuff about Canada. And then, uh, you know, they got, they got turned around on like indigenous people's day and learn about, uh, residential schools. And, and, and it's, uh, it is uncomfortable. Um, but I'd say this, he, here's the way I come down on that is 
is having survived, uh, let's, you know, I mean, I love I know Walter's always talks about indoctrination. Well, I think Oklahoma history, the way, at least the way it was taught when I was a kid was indoctrination, right. just not indoctrination from like critical race theory, but rather from white supremacist theory. Right. And it was, it's straight up. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, let's call it, you know, let's call it what it was, but having kind of gone through that indoctrination of, of, um, Oklahoma and specifically Tulsa history all around me and then reaching, you know, my late 20, it wasn't until my late twenties and I'd already finished like all my schooling and everything and started to hear about the Tulsa race massacre and later the Osage reign of terror. And now with things I'm finding out about, um, some of the, the, the swindles and right, right in the heart of Tulsa, you know, I think that that, that, that in particular makes me question uh, those people who knew something about some of those things and chose not to speak up. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, we're worrying about protecting the children, but think about when those children grow up. Right. Uh, you know, the child is the father of the man, uh, as words were said. Right. You know, and when that, when that becomes a man, becomes a person, an adult, and learns those things. And go, why wasn't I taught this? How many white people do you know in Tulsa are like, why wasn't I not taught about this? How, I mean, how did I get this? So did many. You feel, you know what you. You feel? Yeah. I tell you what, man, I feel, I feel honestly, like, honestly, I feel, I feel betrayed. You know, uh, I know it's kind of harsh language, but no. I do. I like, cause I know, I know that my mom, uh, uh, knew about, you know, she went to central high during desegregation um, I knew, I know she knew a lot of the things. I know my high school history teacher knew a lot of the stories and just chose to throw on, you know, the Oklahoma musical, uh, <laughs> rather than, 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 you know, take us to places and sites and ask hard questions. Right. And it makes me now question those people's judgment. Maybe at the time it was easy. Maybe at the time it was much more comfortable to just be like, you know what, kids, let's just turn on Oklahoma where the wind comes with the planes and rather than, you know, like go to the council of three and ask right. why the logo boat you know, were removed there and see what they know. That would certainly be harder yeah. than no. putting on a movie. No, but uh, right. yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I guess that was my retort. But well, and I think too, you know, just so we don't land on a negative spot, we, we, we provide some yeah. hope as we, as we take off here. You know, you're starting to see things improve a little. And when I say that, what I was thinking about when you were talking was, you know, now through my own personal experience, you know, we've got a, <clears throat> we've got a Muskogee Nation night at the Tulsa Drillers game now. Now, and I know some people here that oh, yeah. you know, turn their ears off and go, oh, this is trivial, whatever. But let me explain. Right. In that yeah. game, we have a special jersey made that says Tulsi. Uh, they wear yeah. Tulsi across their chest. Now. When I go around that stadium all night and I hear people that for the, you know, for the first time they're seeing that going, what does that mean? And you hear folks stop them, talk to them about what it means, why it's Tulsi, where that came from, man, reach one, teach one. To me, that may mm -hmm. seem trivial to some people, but that person leaves there knowing a little bit more about the city that they're in that they did before they came. And so for me, mm -hmm. like, even if it may seem small baby steps to some people, yeah. 
man, you know, yeah. that's, that's giant leap stuff to others. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. not to get all, not to yeah, get all Neil Armstrong here. That's but. A really cool. Oh yeah. yeah no, I, know, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, it's, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't have imagined that like 20 years ago. I need to get you a jersey. You know? I need oh, to get you a Tulsi jersey. Oh my god! I would, yeah, man. I would rock that. I would rock that like every day. You would totally it, rock yeah, that. Abo- yeah. Above, above minus twenty. Next year, how about that? Next year, uh, you <laughs> remind me. But I want you. Uh, I, you know, you're seriously, Russell. As I'm, I'm gonna let you go because we've we've held you long enough, and I know you're a busy guy. But you're one of my favorite people, and the reason I say that is because of your experience and your life story. It's so fascinating to me because. I met a guy, like I said, when we were going back and, and doing our theagbs in the Southeast. And I don't know if you've heard about us increasing our presence and wow. going back to the Southeast and saying, yeah. you know, in Macon, we're going to be a part of things here and everything like that. Well, the mayor pro tem mm-hmm. of Macon County is a lifelong wow. middle Georgian that's just so passionate and invigorated about, let me get in with these Muskogees and make sure that all the people that I've ever known and grown up with and loved and been neighbors with here in middle Georgia know the real history of our spot and, and Mm. what, what kind of spirits are carried along this old Mulgee river. I, you know, you're in the same vein that's as really that guy. Cool. It's awesome, man. Yeah. And, and, oh, man. and that's why, like wow. I said, you guys are, you guys are like some of my favorite people. You know, you're like newborns. I can't wait to go down there and meet him. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm going to do a trip to Vegas. You, do, you got to right. go, man. If you ever meet Seth Clark, dude, it'll change your life. You guys okay. are like, you guys would be two peas in a pod, I promise you. So oh, wow. um, that's very, awesome. very similar uh, life stories and, 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 and awakenings and things like that. So. Um, Russell, man, uh, I, I really hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. I really appreciate you taking out the time, uh, to talk with me about some of these things and, and listen, man, I, hopefully, uh, I, I'd love you to be a, a regular sort of, uh, you know, guest appearance, whatever, come on with me and, and talk about uh-huh. some things because, you know, I think you've got a, a great perspective and, and there's some things we can talk about and you really understand, uh, what we deal with here and, and man, and you've got a ton of things to talk about up there. In, in Canada, um, there's a there's a whole and people don't understand this. There's a whole nother set uh, with with when you're talking about First Nations issues and things in Canada yes. that you also explore. Yes. So before I let you go, oh, yes. let everybody out there know where they can get some of your work um, and what you currently have oh. out there. Oh, I get to do some self promo. Please, nice. please. Do. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Well, OK, so I am the author of The Great Oklahoma Swindle. Uh, race, religion, and lies in America's weirdest state. <laughs> and if you don't believe it's the weirdest state, I'll fight you on that one. Um, <laughs> take that, Florida man. Yeah, Florida uh, man. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been a frequent contributor to a number of Oklahoma uh, publications. And uh, I have a, a new book I am hard at work on that will be published by Beacon Press in 2023. And uh, hopefully you can pre-order it soon. And it is called The Ghosts of Crook County Tracing Pipelines and Bloodlines in Indian Country. Wow. And, um, yeah, and I, that, is not a, that is not a typo. It is not. I, didn't, I know there is no Crook County in, in uh, Oklahoma, but I know that that's what oil men uh, called Creek County because there was so much outlaw. Uh, behavior going that on out there. That is great. I cannot wait for that, man. I cannot wait for that. Oh, I, you know, I, I, Jason, I would be happy. To, I, it's like this, this is just a mind blowing research that 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 I keep coming across, and I would love um, to just 
you know, dig in to some of it with you. Yeah. It would really be my pleasure. I can't um, wait for next season. Some, so, some of it is so wild. It's like, it's like, okay, Martin, Scorsese, or, or Sterling Harjo, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's yeah. more the territory of Sterling Harjo. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, weirder, Sterling. It's weirder than anything Scorsese could dream of. I was going to say, man, my, Sterling's my guy, but uh, he he doesn't go for that cut and dry, like easy storytelling. He's getting weirder and weirder with yeah. his old age, man. I watched, yeah. I watched season eight of uh, Reservation Dog season, I mean, that's. Uh, Episode eight of Reservation Dog uh, season two, and I was like, "Bro, you are pushing the boundaries." <laughs> I love it, yeah. you know. But uh, it was awesome. But uh, and and hopefully you've been enjoying that too. So, man, we'll keep an eye oh, on. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, for now, you do have a book available, like you said, the Great Oklahoma yeah. Swindle. Russell, yeah. you've actually uh, you've actually got a podcast uh, yourself uh, that you that you do. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Oh yeah, I do. It's called History X. And uh, one of the taglines is not on the syllabus. Ooh, and uh, right it's, 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 yeah, it's a, it's a half an hour of history that has been misremembered, forgotten or suppressed. And uh, so, you know, I just got inspired by the kinds of, the kinds of work. And I, I looked into other, other histories from, uh, from Oklahoma all the way here to the Canadian prairies. Um, and you can get it on any, any uh, podcast provider, Apple, Google, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, so check it out, folks. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been, I mean, it's just been so, so great talking to you. Um, I still remember our conversation on the TV, TV show that yeah. just kind of talking to you kind of opens my eyes too. You know, I start cool. to realize we're having a real conversation. Yeah. So it's just talking points. So it's always a pleasure. And, yeah. uh, Mado. Hey, Inga. And you know what? This is uh, that goes right in line with what we do here on the on the podcast uh, that we, we set out to make it. Uh, and that's our tagline conversations from our reservation. Um, it, it, you know, this is just two old guys on a park bench right here. Although we're very young hey. and extremely good looking still. Hey. Um, <laughs> we haven't gotten into those older years, but, um, no, no man, no. We're, we're, we just want, we just like to kick it and, and chop it up and, and have conversations from mm-hmm. our reservation. So brother, I appreciate it. And I hope you, uh, in, enjoy the rest of your year. And I can't wait for the book next year. And, uh, mm-hmm. man, really, really appreciate the uh, the perspective and the talk today here on the Muskogee Pod with Russell Cobb, uh, and uh, really appreciate you, Russell. Can't wait till you get back home. We can see you in person. All right, excellent. All right, I'll see you then. All right, man. Have a great one. And our thanks, our many, many meadows to Mr. Russell Cobb. We want to say again uh, what a treat it was to talk to him today. So many things that uh, we got to cover. And, you know, I'm serious. You know, he's a guy's one of my fir- favorite people just because um, I learned so much from him. And not only learned so much from him, but from his perspective specifically. We, we hear from so many people, you know, so often, I know I do, um, that are indigenous or that are Muskogee themselves that – have a wealth of knowledge um, in Creek history and the things that happen and everything like that. But when you get it from a non-citizen, you know, somebody that, you know, really has no tie um, other than the fact that, you know, they're just finding out um, all of these things that um, does tie them to Creek history and everything like that. Um, I just think it's so rad that this guy is sitting there in Tuckabutchie's land um, and never knew it. And then that just spun him out of control um, out into this world of 
my goodness, uh, names and properties and abstracts and everything like that. And to hear him be able to just rattle off, you know, this oil person's name and this is who they were married to. And maybe the marriage wasn't on the up and up and all this other stuff. It's just really insane to, to be able to listen to all of that and take it in. And I know it was for our listeners too. So big ups, big Mado to Mr. Russell Cobb up there in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And we'll be looking for a lot of good things from him. Um, I'm confident that these two uh, books that he's putting out um, aren't going to be the last we hear from him. He does a lot of great work up there as an associate professor at the University of Alberta. So great chat today with Russell Cobb uh, and can't wait till he gets back uh, on the Muskogee Reservation because this really is his home and uh, I'm glad to uh, see him again. So want to thank Russell and and, and really everybody, um, you know, just want to encourage you. uh, Season two, we hope that you've enjoyed sort of our storyteller series, how we're kind of getting these people on to talk about some, you know, in, in, in theory, we're talking about history, right? We're talking about sort of, um, textbook things that never made a textbook, but we're, we're doing it in a storyteller way. And we touched on that a little bit before we got off the phone, but, um, um, you know, him making time today for us on season two here and we're rocking and rolling now. Want to let everybody know, tell your friends, tell people out there about the Muskogee pod where you can get it. And, uh, we wanted to certainly continue to, you know, push you to subscribe. And these are things that we want people to know. Um, yeah, of course we want you to be entertained and, and listen along and, you know, feel like you've, you know, been a part of an episodic, you know, uh, happening, but at the same time, you know, it's really important too to uh, to to sort of just convey these things that are being said. So um, we we hope that you enjoyed it as much as uh, we did here on the Muskogee Pod, and we are going to get out of here now. I am out of time, and I know you folks are probably tired of listening to me talk now. So no, um, I really uh, had a great time with this episode, and I can't wait to get to the next one. And this has been Tulsi time and uh, an exploration of uh, Tulsa's founding. And it's been right here, a great conversation from our reservation on the Muskogee Pod. We'll see you next time.